Listen, well tonight we're going to play Let's Make a Deal. I think we have some theme music going on. I need four volunteers right down here at the front to play Let's Make a Deal. Okay, hand is up, come on down. Hand is up, come on down. Two from the back, come on down. I need two more. Anybody? Right, come on down, right here. Come on. I need one more person. One more person. Come on down. All right, I've got you four right down front. Okay, I'm going to make some good deals tonight. Are you ready to play? Let's make a deal. Give him a hand. Woo! All right. Okay. Let's start with you, number 21. Face the audience. They probably know who you are, but some may not. Tell us your name and how long you've been coming to SFC. Uh, Is it Howard? Howard? Wow. Old enough to have stock in the company. That is awesome. Okay, Howard. I have a deal for you. I've got something in my pocket you can have, or you can have that tiny little green package at the very end. What's it going to be? What's in my pocket or in the green bag? My pocket. Let's see here. Oh, it's my motel key. No, that's not it. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's a pack of gum. All right, four packages of extra gum. Wonderful. Well played. Give him a hand. You can have a seat. Tell everybody what your name is. Kaylee, Kaylee, what's it going to be? This package right here or the little green package at the end? One or two, one or two, one or two. The green package, go ahead and grab it and open it up. Let's see what's in there. Let's make a deal. Kaylee, what kind of deal do you have? What is it? What is it? What is it? It's a cool bracelet. Awesome. And it says Inspire on it. Well played. Good job. All right. Tell everybody your name and how long you've come to SFCC. A year and a half, that's awesome. Jennifer, what's it going to be? This bag or this bag all the way down here? One or two? One or two? The one right next to you. Let's see what you got. Oh, that's awesome. You got a body scrub, and I've only used it twice, so you're good to go. I'm kidding. But, oh, cool. And you got some antibacteria and some bath gel. Give her a hand. We'll play, Jennifer. All right. Tell everybody your name, and how long have you come to this great church? Samantha, eight years, that's a long time. One or two, one or two, one or two. One, okay, dig inside, let's see what you got. Samantha, what is it? It's a dollar bill, that is awesome. Do you know, you can get any size of soft drink at McDonald's for a dollar, so on your way home, you go to McDonald's. Okay, I need one more person, because I'm not good at math and I miscounted. I've got one more bag up here. One more bag, who's gonna play the game? You gonna come on up? You don't want to play? Come on, get on up here. Okay, I've got um, a breath mint in my pocket or what's in the bag? A breath mint or what's in the bag? What are you going to choose? Really? Okay, go ahead and take the bag. Let's see what you got. Whoa, that is a brand new $2 bill. It's a $2 bill. Well played. Awesome. Also playing Let's Make a Deal tonight is Sarah from the Old Testament. You might remember her as Abraham's wife. You may have also seen her on uh, Desperate Housewives of the Desert. Did anybody catch that one? Anyway, Sarah is also playing Let's Make a Deal tonight, and she has some big choices to make. In front of her is door number one, which is labeled God's Will, and door number two, Shortcut to God's Will. Now, if she goes through door number one, God's Will, the details of this prize aren't going to be revealed for uh, about 25 more years. If she goes through door number two, Shortcut to God's Will, details will be revealed in about... Uh, nine months. Okay, so Sarah, what's it going to be? You've cried for a child, pleaded for a child, begged God for a child, and he's heard your request. He's going to give you a child. His name will be Isaac, but it's going to be 25 more years. If you walk through door number one, God's will, it'll be 25 more years before you have this son. Now, are you going to do that, or are you going to go to God's will and trust him, even though uh, it's kind of hard to believe because well, your husband Abraham will be a hundred years old at that time, and well, you're no spring chicken yourself, are you? <laughs> or will you go through door number two, shortcut to God's will, and will you choose to give your maidservant Hagar to your husband Abraham, and if so, then your son will be born in nine months. What's it going to be, Sarah? Door number one or door number two? Door number one or door number two? You know what choice she made, didn't you? She chose shortcut to God's will and walked right through door number two. Ishmael was born. 
And you know, don't you, that Ishmael and Isaac became uh, uh, two uh, warriors or two people that were people groups that were battling against each other. Ishmael became the father of predominantly Arabs or predominantly Muslims, and Isaac became the father of the Jews. And ever since that time, these two people groups have been at war with each other. Ever since Sarah played the game show, ever since she made the wrong choice, ever since she took matters into her own hands, and ever since she failed to trust God and walk through his will. Now, as poor of a, as a contestant as Sarah was on Let's Make a Deal, there's somebody else in our biblical studio audience who was perhaps even a worse contestant. And it's hard to believe because, well, the Bible has often described him as the wisest man in the Bible. But he made some pretty foolish choices and we'll replay his game show experience now. When he first took the stage on Let's Make a Deal, God was hosting the show. And he gave Solomon some amazing options. Let's rewind the tape. Are you ready? Here we go. That night, God appeared to Solomon and told him, Ask me for anything, and I will give it to you. Door number one, we have wealth. Door number two, honor. And door number three, wisdom. And Solomon answered, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom to rule properly for who is able to govern by himself such a great nation as this one of yours. God said, well played, Solomon. And because you made the right choice, I'm also giving you the prize behind door number two, door number one, and door number two. It's all yours as long as you obey me. Well, the audience went wild. I mean, they were crazy about him. Talk about a grand prize. It was amazing. Everyone fell in love with Solomon, and his kingdom grew along with his fame. Now, 1 Kings 10 and Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. That's the wrong slide. That's a different message. Can we get that one off? That's a message for tomorrow morning. <laughs> they described the great wealth of Solomon. But as, if, as we press the fast forward button, <clears throat> we'll see that Solomon slowly began making some dangerous choices and he began selecting the wrong prizes. You see, Solomon loved God, but he didn't love God completely. <laughs> he followed the people and he slowly became desensitized to sin and he fell away from the Lord. Do we have the scripture ready? Here we go. King Solomon, however loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Pepsilites, Mosquitoites, Sidonians, Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast in love with them. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. So sure, Solomon loved God, but he didn't love him completely. Didn't love him with all of his heart. He was, he was seduced. He was seduced by privilege and, and power and riches and the praise of people. And that's probably why he didn't see it coming. Uh, you see, I, I think um, if, if it had been a matter maybe of one beautiful woman disrobing herself in front of Solomon... He would have caught on pretty quickly, and he would have realized what was happening. But it didn't happen that way. It was a gradual thing. He would have put two and two together. But you see, since this slow desensitization took place in his 40-year reign, a little here, a little there, a little there, he missed it. He missed it. He missed his wake-up call. He just leaned back and let the current of seduction carry him along. I think it's safe that we say Solomon slept right through his wake-up call. Let's not make the same mistake. 
God is faithful. He's faithful through his Holy Spirit to sound the alarm when something in our lives is spiritually off. Well, Susie, what, what does it mean to be spiritually off? Well, uh, it can mean several things, but right now, let's focus on one of the most popular things that knocks us off track. It's deception. It's easy to be deceived. And I'm thinking if the wisest man in the Bible can be deceived, can't it also happen to us? Can't we also become deceived if it happened to the wisest man in the Bible? Again, the Holy Spirit will send us a wake-up call, but it's our responsibility to respond to that alarm. Well, what are the alarms? Well, let's take a look at them. Alarm number one. You're being deceived when sin seems like a good idea. Now remember, Solomon's beginning days in office were a roaring success, except for one thing. And you might miss it if you're not paying really close attention. Right in the middle of all the glowing information about this young king, we find these words. Here they are. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters. Okay, only 16 words there. But they speak volumes. You see, God's law strictly forbade all Israelites from marrying foreign women. And don't think for a second, Solomon didn't know. He didn't hear about it. Uh, he just slipped that one in, in class. No, no, no. Solomon knew. He had been raised with these laws. And he knew these laws like the back of his hand. But somehow, taking a foreign wife just... Seemed like a pretty good idea. Maybe Solomon thought that by marrying Pharaoh's daughter, he'd be forming an alliance with Pharaoh, and that would give him security and peace. It would be like a, a, a treaty, an alliance for years to come. Yeah, okay, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? He's playing let's make a deal with Pharaoh, and you'll notice God is no longer hosting the show. Hmm. Years later... Solomon would have a thousand foreign women roaming around the palace grounds. And even worse, he'd be worshiping their gods. The very thing that God said would happen if he would marry a foreign wife. Let's look at scripture. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters. For they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Guess what? God is sounding the alarm, isn't he? God is sounding the alarm. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen. Do you have ears? I know you have physical ears because I can see them, but do you have spiritual ears? God wants you to turn on and tune in your spiritual ears tonight because he's sounding an alarm for us. Anyone, that's us, who has ears to hear. Spiritual ears, we're here in church. Yes, help us hear the alarm. Help us hear what you're trying to say. Should listen. Okay, let's look at alarm number two. You're living in deception when you succumb to public opinion. Alarm number one, you're living in deception or you're being deceived when sin just kind of seems like a good idea. Alarm number two, you're being deceived or you're living in deception when you succumb or give in to public opinion. Think about it. Today... It seems as though a lot of sins have lost their stigma. <laughs> uh, they've become widely accepted because of changes in public opinion. For example, living together outside of marriage. I can remember a day when pastors would speak out against that. I remember a day when that was called sin. But today, many people in the church who call themselves Christians, live together, and oftentimes Christians even encourage it so they can find out if they're compatible or if they can, so they can save money before they get married. It just seems to make sense. Well, we're succumbing to public opinion. Wow. I have a friend who uh, was on staff at a Nazarene church in a resort community uh, in, a, in a state that's 
never, it never gets cold. It's just a hot state. And so a lot of people uh, who want to retire move to this state to retire in warm weather. And so I, I said to her, wow, it must be a pretty cushy job being on staff at that church because you've got a church full of retired Nazarenes who just want to sing a bunch of hymns. I mean, that's pretty easy. And you can't even live in the city unless you're at least 55 years of age. So she had to live right outside the city limits. I mean, I said, how easy of a job do you have? Being at a church, a bunch of retired Nazarenes just sitting around singing a bunch of old hymns out of the hymn book probably. Probably don't even put the words on the screen. I mean, that's pretty easy. She said, oh, Susie, she said, you have no idea. She said, you know, it used to be that people would talk to high school students or college students or, or beginning 20s about the sin of living together outside of marriage. She said, you wouldn't believe the number of retired people in our church who are living together outside of marriage. Maybe his wife died, maybe her husband died, and they choose to live together as a married couple because they don't want to mess up their social security. They don't want it to mess with their, their tax stuff. And so we have a lot of people in church who are just living together. Wow, I never thought of that. We're succumbing to public opinion when we decide that things, used, that things that used to be wrong because the Bible says they're wrong, not because we decided it was, but when Scripture calls something wrong, and Scripture, scripture says, Hebrews 13, 4, keep the marriage bed pure. Can't keep it pure if we're in it together outside of marriage. So no matter what public opinion is, no matter what the Supreme Court passes as okay, what's, what once was wrong will always be wrong. If God says it's sin, it will always be sin. And if we can't back it up by God's word, then it's wrong. Again, what was once sin will always be sin. And God is sounding an alarm. Let's look at scripture. Anyone, anyone who has ears to hear should listen, should understand. Alarm number three, you're being deceived when you straddle the line. You haven't completely crossed the line. You're, you're just dabbling. You're, you're drinking, but hey, it's in moderation. Yeah, it's not that I go get drunk all the time, Susie. It's just that, you know, I'm, I'm drinking. You know what? I, I've never seen anything good come from alcohol. Yes, I believe there will be people in heaven uh, who, ha who have been drinking. Sure, I believe that. I don't believe a drink is going to send you to hell. But I've never seen anything good come from alcohol. That's straddling the line. I have seen a lot of bad come from alcohol. Well, um, Susie, I'm sexually involved, but um, I'm, I'm not you know, having intercourse. So, so I'm not really sexually involved, but, the, but I am, but I'm not, thank you very much, former President Bill Clinton. <laughs> I can share with you some letters that I received back a few years ago. I was a, an editor of a teen girls magazine called Brio for Focus on the Family, and I got about a thousand letters a month from teen girls all around the world, and a few of those letters I'll never forget. One teen girl wrote, Dear Susie, my boyfriend and I have showers together. We shower together, but um, we're not having sex, so I'm still pure, right? No, you're not. Another letter, dear Susie, my boyfriend and I sleep together, but we're not having sex sex, so I'm still pure, right? No, you're not. You see, that's sexual intimacy outside of marriage. We can try to cut the corners. Well, I'm not going all the way. I'm just taking a shower with him, straddling the line. That's straddling the line. That means we've been deceived. When we're deceived, it's no longer black and white. It's just, an all, it's just all hazy, and it's all blurred, and it's hard to see spiritually straight. How did Solomon end up with 1,000 foreign women in his harem? Well, he was obviously so hungry for power on the world stage that one foreign wife and one treaty would never be enough. One treaty led to another treaty, to another and another, until he ended up bowing to a thousand women and their gods, their false idols. You see, you may be able to straddle the line for a season, but no one can straddle the line forever. No one can stand on both sides forever. Let's look at scripture. Because you are lukewarm, 
neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Really, the common word for that is vomit. I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth, the Lord Jesus says. You're not hot enough to be on fire for me. You're not cold enough for me to rebuke and correct. You're just lukewarm. I can't do anything with lukewarm people. None of us go to Starbucks and say, I would like a lukewarm cappuccino. And I don't go to Sonic or McDonald's and say, I want a lukewarm Coca-Cola. Don't even put any ice in it. <laughs> no. We want it hot or we want it cold. God can't do much with lukewarm. Ooh, I want to mm, vomit you, spit you out of my mouth. Guess what there won't be in heaven? No vomit. There's not going to be any vomit in heaven. So we need to get off the fence, don't we? Just because you may be doing something in moderation doesn't make it okay. We can't dabble in sin and get away with it. So let's just make up our mind. Either we will choose to serve God in radical obedience to his lordship or no, we really won't. But let's just be honest about it. Will you choose to live in radical obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ or will you follow your own fleshly desires? Let's look at scripture. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? In other words, how long are you going to straddle a fence? If the Lord is God, follow him. Hey, but if Baal is God, we'll follow him. God is sounding an alarm. Are you listening Seriously, tonight, are you listening? Scripture, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Alarm number four, when godly people question your behavior, it's proof that you're living in deceit. I can just guess. If I were a betting woman, I would bet that pastors, Buddy and Gay, have probably, they've been in the ministry for years, and there have probably been times in their ministry when maybe they had to question a Christian's behavior. We can either be a teachable Christian and say, oh, thank you for pointing that out. You know what, I didn't, I didn't see it. Thank you, I, I have a blind spot. Or we can build the wall and put up the defenses. It's not me. You're wrong. When godly people question your behavior, listen, because it's a sign, it's proof that you're living in deceit. When Solomon became the king of Israel, he inherited everything that his father David, the former king, had left behind. And this included David's ally or friendship with King Hiram of Tyre. Let's look at it in scripture. King Hiram of Tyre had been a loyal friend of David. And when Hiram learned that David's son Solomon was the new king of Israel, he sent ambassadors to congratulate him. Solomon sent a response to Hiram explaining that the Lord had instructed him to build a temple and that he'd like to continue to use Hiram to supply all the cedar. He said, please command that cedars from Lebanon be cut for me. Let my men work alongside yours, and I'll pay your men whatever wages they ask. Whoa, what a deal. I'll pay you whatever you ask. <laughs> As you know, there's no one among us who can cut timber like you Sidonians, little brown-nosing. As you can see from that last sentence, Psalm is not above using flattery or brown-nosing to get what he wanted. Not that he needed to. I mean, but offering to pay somebody whatever wages they ask for pretty much guarantees you're going to be doing business for a long time together. And so before long, cedar logs and cypress timber came rolling into Israel and wheat and olive oil were, were rolling into Tyre. See, that was the deal. You give me all the wood, and later Hiram will also give him gold, and I'll give you, because this is what Hiram wanted, uh, wheat and olive oil. I'll provide you with that. That's, that was the deal that was made. And again, later, Hiram would provide gold for Solomon. Let's look at scripture. This happy arrangement was in effect for the entire 20 years it took Solomon to complete both his palace and the temple. Okay, 20 years is a long time to be friends. They know each other pretty well by now. Pastor Gay and I have been friends for over 20 years, haven't we? Maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 100. 
Yeah. Well, we've been friends a long time. We know each other pretty well by now. Um, she knows my favorite food. She knows what I, when I'm tired and need to be alone. She knows when I want to be with people. We just know each other pretty well. And so they know each other really well by now. There are some people in your life that you've been really good friends with for 20 years or more. It might be your spouse or it might just be your BFF, but you've been friends, you've had an allegiance with them for 20 years or more. And, and so, but, you, but you've got to remember, Solomon is slowly being deceived over this 20-year span of friendship. He's becoming desensitized to the things of the Lord, things like obedience and integrity and honesty and commitment. These things are fading. He's becoming desensitized. So it shouldn't surprise us to see this in Scripture. Let's look at it. It took Solomon 20 years to build the Lord's temple and his own royal palace. At the end of that time... He gave 20 towns in the land of Galilee to King Hiram of Tyre. Okay, now, now notice, how had he previously paid? Well, he, he previously paid with wheat and olive oil. Uh, Hiram supplied, again, all the cedar, all the cypress timber, later gold that Solomon had requested. But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not at all pleased with them. Let's look at scripture. What kind of towns are these, my brother? He asked. So Hiram called that area Kabul, which means worthless. Worthless, as it is still known today. Okay, so for some reason, after 20 years, Solomon changed the arrangement that he had with Hiram. Again, he'd always paid for the timber and the gold with wheat and olive oil, but now suddenly he's paying with real estate. Solomon is a real estate agent. He doesn't have the authority to give away towns or cities. But as I read through this, I thought, but why wasn't Hiram happy with 20 towns? I think that's kind of cool. I'd like to have just one town. <laughs> I mean, that seems like a fun thing. Hey, let's come to my town. Let's come to the town of Susie. We'll have a big party, Coca-Cola and popcorn and Mexican food, chips and dip. Yeah, come to the town of Susie. I'll meet you there at 630. That just sounds like a fun gift. 20 towns, that sounds pretty cool. And so I began to research it. Why wasn't King Hiram happy with 20 towns? This is what I discovered. There were cities whose land would need to be cultivated. A lot of work would have to be done to make these 20 cities profitable. And also they were inland cities. Now remember, Hiram and his people were in the exporting business, so they needed land that was close to the sea. Also, these 20 towns were inhabited by Canaanite heathens. Let's look at 1 Kings 9.13 from the Living Bible. What sort of deal is this, my brother, he asked. These cities are a wasteland. Now let's look at that same scripture from the message. He said, what kind of reward is this, my friend? 20 backwoods, hick towns? People still refer to them that way. This is all Hiram got from Solomon in exchange for four and a half tons of gold. That is a lot of gold. The towns were so undesirable that Hiram just dubbed the whole area worthless, which apparently wasn't an exaggeration because the name stuck. But what I want you to really notice here is Hiram's question to Solomon. What kind of towns are these, my brother? The two words that best describe the emotion behind that question are disappointment and confusion. Hiram can't believe his eyes. What? What? He can't believe that his oldest and his most trusted friend, a man who'd been like a brother to him, he can't believe that a man who, who, who had always dealt with honesty and he'd kept their agreement suddenly is just blatantly ripping me off after decades of mutually beneficial commerce. But again, remember, Solomon is being deceived, like some of us. Solomon wasn't the same man that he was 20 years ago. Mm. He's being deceived. And this process of deceit had been happening for several years. Now, according to Scripture, here's where it gets interesting. According to Scripture, God commanded that this land not be given away. So Solomon didn't even have the authority to give these towns, uh, these, this land to Hiram. 
But he disobeyed God, and he did it anyway. See, it's easy to disobey God now and give away 20 towns because he's already disobeyed God and married one foreign wife and made a treaty with somebody that he shouldn't have an alliance with. And then another foreign wife, and another treaty, and another foreign wife, and a thousand foreign wives. And so he's used to disobeying God anymore. It doesn't even make his conscience feel a thing anymore. His conscience is like shut off again He's been deceived. He's gradually become more selfish, more materialistic. Hiram's question to Solomon, what, what kind of towns are these, my brother, is much deeper than it seems. Hiram can see for himself what kind of towns they are. Well, they're worthless towns. He answered his own question. <laughs> he's not really asking about the towns. He's asking about Solomon. Solomon, what's up? Solomon, what in the world? is going on with you. What's up with you, my brother? Is closer to what he really means when godly people question your behavior. Pay attention. Listen. When a godly person questions your behavior, God's word is sounding an alarm in our lives. And scripture says, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand the last alarm. Alarm number five, you've been deceived when your priorities have changed. Now remember, when Solomon first became king, he just wanted to do what was right. Remember, he asked for wisdom in guiding the people according to God's laws, but he's slowly fallen into the pit of deception. His priorities have completely changed from ministry, I just want to minister, I just want to lead your people, to materialism. Now, we already know that he was a wealthy man, don't we? But now he begins flaunting his wealth. Like the time he offered God a sacrifice of 22,000 cows and 120,000 sheep and goats. Can, can anybody say overkill? <laughs> Especially when it's not even the blood of animals that God really desires. A fact that Solomon's dad, David, knew very well. Look at scripture. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You don't want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. Now Solomon also gained much of his wealth in an ungodly manner. He burdened the people with heavy taxation and harsh labor demands. But probably the scripture that most clearly indicates Solomon's obsession with all things lavish is found in 1 Kings 10, 21. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were of solid gold, as were all the utensils of the palace. Seriously? Seriously? Solid gold drinking cups? Does anybody really need a solid gold drinking cup? Now, the last time I checked on the price of gold... It was in the spring. Gold was selling for $1,227.10 an ounce. Let's just round that up to $1,300. So let's just say gold is selling for $1,300 an ounce. Now, it's safe to say that one of Solomon's drinking cups would have been maybe 12 ounces the size of a soda can. Okay, the cup itself wouldn't be solid gold because then you couldn't pour liquid into it, but it had a pedestal. It would have had a pedestal. That would have been of solid gold and then the outside of the cup. So it's safe to say that there would have been at least 12 ounces of solid gold in one of Solomon's drinking cups. So that would make one of his drinking cups $15,600. He had a big palace, so let's just say he set a, had, a, had a set of 12 drinking cups. Of course, he probably had more than 12 drinking cups, but let's just say he had 12. That's $187,200 for drinking cups, almost $200,000 for a set of 12 drinking cups. He probably had many more than 12, and don't forget all his utensils. So the plates, the salad plate, the dessert plate, the dinner plate, the butter knife, the other knife, the fork, and the salad fork, uh, salad fork all these things, everything... Out of solid gold. Wow. And his drinking cups, I mean, well, before we go on, I mean, think of what that money could have done in ministry. I know that this church has a focus in ministry around the world. You have ministry in Nigeria. You have ministry in India. You have ministry in, ministries in other parts of the world. I love that about this church. 
How much could that money have been used in other parts of the world in ministry? How many churches in, like, Haiti could that have built? I know Haiti didn't exist then, but you, you get what I'm saying. How many churches, how much in ministry could have been done with just the money he had for 12 drinking cups? Amazing. Now, his drinking cups were only one tiny portion of his wealth. Second Chronicles 9, 13 to 18, details his obsession with gold, starting with the fact that he received about 25 tons of gold every year. Whoa. That's a lot of gold. And he ordered his craftsmen to make virtually everything out of gold. Even his throne, which was made out of ivory, was overlaid with gold, making it like no other throne in the entire world, according to 2 Chronicles 9.19. But gold wasn't Solomon's only obsession. He also had a thing for horses. He owned 12,000 horses. Does anybody need 12,000 horses? I mean, okay, a horse would be the equivalent of an ancient automobile, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, it's, uh, it's not unusual for a king to own several, but 12,000? 12,000? Okay, but Susie, wait a minute. A lot of wealthy people own uh, a lot of transportation vehicles or a lot of cars. For instance, Jerry Seinfeld has the largest collection of Porsches in the entire world. Yeah, we're used to hearing that. Wealthy people have a lot of cars. And Jay Leno, he owns enough cars and motorcycles to fill a Burbank, California airport hangar. It's been reported that Jay actually owns 866 vehicles. But Solomon is still in the lead with 12,000 ancient vehicles, horses. And then, of course, there was his harem. Now, the reason that we know all of this wealth was not of God, even though God promised to give Solomon wealth, is the fact that it stands in direct violation of God's command in Deuteronomy. So let's take a look at it. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses, for the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt. Where do the horses come from? Egypt. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth and silver and gold for himself. Susie, Susie, are you saying it's wrong to own nice things? No. I'm not saying that. Materialism isn't about your balance sheet. It's about your heart. Okay, so why did Solomon take such a nosedive into the deep end of materialism? Remember, he started out in ministry. Just give me wisdom. I just want to guide these people. Ministry, ministry, ministry. Materialism, materialism. Why did he take such a nosedive? Well, remember, again, he's being deceived. He's been seduced over a period of 20 years. And also, he's trying to find meaning. And he even admits this in Ecclesiastes 2.4. Let's look at it. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. Remember, when Solomon first took the stage to be a contestant on Let's Make a Deal, he made really winning choices. But slowly, this very wise man, the wisest man in Scripture, has become deceived. And if becoming desensitized to the things of the Lord can happen to the wisest men in Scripture, it can also happen to us. So I need to ask you, could you be living in the trap of deception? You see, Satan is extremely clever, and he can deceive even the wisest of Christians. How? Well, by disguising himself as an angel of light. Look at scripture. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Paul told Timothy in the last days, many in the church, Timothy, will be deceived. Why? Well, because we're tired. <laughs> well, because we're weary. Because our defenses are down. Because we're not guarding our heart. I'll never forget, I was doing a ministers and mates retreat at another district. I think it was in some other state, and the district superintendent told me, Susie, I'll never forget the very first time years ago when I was younger in my ministry that I had to remove the credentials of one of our young pastors. He had crossed the line of morality, and I had to take his credentials away from him. He could no longer be a minister. And this young minister just wept, and he said, I'm so sorry. I knew better. I knew what I did was wrong. I just let down my guard. 
It's easy for us to be deceived. We get tired, we get weary, our defenses are down. When Solomon first played Let's Make a Deal, God was hosting this show. But during a commercial break, Satan came on stage and he began to deceive Solomon until our favorite contestant gave Satan the position of host. And the host deceived Solomon. And Solomon made foolish choices. He dishonored God. He turned his back on his creator. He worshiped idols. He broke God's laws. And it all started was something that seemed to make sense. Go ahead and marry Pharaoh's daughter. Even though God has forbidden it, it just makes sense to do it because you'll be forging a secure treaty with and promising peace and security for Israel for years to come. But one foreign wife becomes 1,000 foreign wives. Solomon has exited the stage now. The spotlight shifts and it's now on you. That's right, you're the contestant on Let's Make a Deal. God is offering his will through door number one. And he's offering shortcut to God's will through door number two. And he's offering not my will at all through door number three. Actually, he's not offering those, but those are the doors on the stage. He's offering my will, door number one. So my question is, will you accept it? Will you choose to walk through the door of God's will? Even though you may not see it now, what? It may not happen for 25 more years? You mean I'm going to have to trust in something that I, can, I find it hard to believe? I'm not sure. Will you trust God's will for your life? Will you yield to his will? Will you choose to live in radical obedience to the lordship of Jesus Christ? As we close, let's recap the alarms. Remember, alarm number one, you're being deceived when sin seems like a good idea. Is there an area in your life that you once knew was wrong, but now I just, well, it just seems to make sense now. Alarm number two, you're living in deception when you succumb to public opinion. Well, but everybody else is. I'm not really sure that's wrong anymore. Alarm number three, you're being deceived when you straddle the line. I'm not going all the way. I'm just playing with it. I'm just down. But... Alarm number four, when godly people question your behavior, it's proof you're living in deceit. Has someone in your life questioned a part of your life? And alarm number five, you've been deceived when your priorities have changed. And Solomon's priorities changed from ministry to materialism. Is there an area in your life in which you've been deceived? And you maybe didn't even realize it until right now. Again, whoever has ears, that's us. Let him hear what the Spirit says. So what is the Spirit saying to you? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right here, right now, in our very first night of this special week of services together? Are you genuinely and meticulously guarding your heart? What about your mind? Are you guarding your mind? Psalm 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. TV. Movies, books, magazines. Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. So what do, you, what do you want tonight? Do you want God's will or do you want your own way? Now, before we wrap up, I believe in his final years that Solomon turned his life around and gave his heart back to God. Why? Why, Susie? Why do you believe that? Well, because... Most Bible scholars believe that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of his life. And listen to what he says as he ends that book. Here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments for this is the entire duty of man. For God will judge us for everything we do, including every hidden thing, good and evil. So when you think about it, what would you rather have tonight? Would you rather have your will, your way? Would you rather have shortcut to God's will? I just don't trust God enough to... Or would you rather have Jesus and all that he plans for your life? I'd rather have Jesus. Will you stand, please? I'd rather have Jesus. Lord, I want you. Jesus, I want you, I want you, I want you, and I want more of you, I want more of you. I want your Holy Spirit to explode in me.
I want you, Jesus. I'd rather have you than anything, than materialism, than wealth, than a huge checking account, Lord, than relationships. I just, I just want more of you, Jesus. Give me more of you. As Jody sings the song, would you make it your commitment by coming forward and kneeling and saying, yes, Jesus, I'd rather have you. If that's your desire tonight, you come as we pray. I want you, Jesus. I want you. I'd rather have you. Is that what's I'd rather have Jesus. I want you, Lord. Christian, but I just, I'll always want more. Then come. Jody's going to sing one more time. You come, and let's gather around as we seek God for more, more, more. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to His dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name than to be the king of a vast Jesus, anything this world affords today, learn to be the king of a vast domain, or be held in sin's dread than anything this world affords today. He's fairer than lilies of rarest blue. He's sweeter than honey Jesus. 
Jesus and let him lead then to be I'm just going to close in prayer, but, you know, sometimes coming to the altar is, you know, kind of a tough deal and walking up in front with all those folks, but I I just want to pray for everyone that came to the altar tonight, and then I'd like to pray for those of you who wanted to come to the altar, and maybe you just didn't, weren't able to do it tonight, but you too, you know, you, you too want all that Jesus has for you, and you know, there might be some things going on. You just know that you know that you'd like to surrender tonight. And I, so as we close, I, I'd just like to pray for you too. With all of our heads bowed and all of our eyes closed, is there anybody today that say, yeah, I didn't come up front, but I sure would like for you to pray for me in closing prayer. You could just slip up your hand. Anybody like that tonight? Yep, I see your hands. Yep, God bless you. Yep, see your hand. Thank you. Yes, yes, sir, I see your hand. God bless you. God sees it. That's more important. Anyone else? Just slip it up, put it right back down and say, yep, I want all of God tonight. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time we've had together. We thank you, Father, for those who have knelt here this morning, this evening, Lord. Father, we just thank you uh, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is just uh, living and it's like a two-edged sword, Lord. It just pierces in the heart. And so I pray, Lord, tonight that your Holy Spirit would minister in a mighty way among us, among those who have knelt, those who have lifted their hand, those that are online tonight, Lord. Father, it's a, there's a lot in that message, Lord, to ponder and think on and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us about. So God, I just pray that we would open our hearts tonight as we head into this week of revival and God, we want uh, your word to penetrate us and to show us and revive us. Lord, we prayed for revival. We prayed that you would revive us. And Lord, we thank you for being here tonight and we pray, God, that you would just bless every person here. We pray, Lord, as we head out from this place tonight that you would keep us safe on the highway. Lord, keep us safe in our parking lot. And Lord, we pray tomorrow would just be a great day here and. Lord, we just thank you for tonight, and we thank you for your spirit. Bless and keep us, Lord. Give Susie rest and energy, we pray in Jesus' name.